Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We tie a lot of emotions to our things and the outcomes and the achievements. And I think the reason we often do that is because we haven't identified how much is enough. We don't keep asking that question. And so I I keep asking that question. Does this add value to my life? And if not, I'm willing to let it go. Hello, and welcome to the Psychology Podcast. Today, we welcome Joshua Fields Milburn, Ryan Nicodemus, and T.K. Coleman to the show. They are known collectively as The Minimalists. Joshua and Ryan are Emmy-nominated Netflix stars and New York Times bestselling authors. Alongside their podcast co-host T.K., they help millions of people live meaningful lives with less. The Minimalists have been featured in Time, Architectural Digest, and GQ, and they have spoken at Harvard, Apple, and Google. Their podcast has more than 100 million downloads, making it one of the most popular podcasts in the world. In this episode, I talk to Joshua, Ryan, and TK about minimalism. All too often, we are preoccupied with amassing wealth and possessions in an attempt to fill the void. Soon, we find that accumulating stuff doesn't really make us feel whole. Instead of turning to objects, the minimalists ask us to ponder, how do we live more with less? When we can get rid of clutter in our homes, digital spaces, and relationships, we make room for what's truly important. Joshua, Ryan, and TK talk about how minimalism has changed their lives, allowing them to feel more content, mindful, and generous. I love these guys, and I think you will too. So without further ado, I bring you The Minimalists. The Minimalists, welcome to the Psychology Podcast. The Minimalists meet the Psychology Podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, so good to be here. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. You know, I know that you all are interested in psychology. I saw you chatting recently with my friend Susan David, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we confirm that? <laughs> no, Susan, <you're> chatting with <laughs> Susan David. <laughs> if you saw it, Scott, then we confirm it. what matters is that you had an experience that is best explained by that hypothesis okay okay amazing (laughs) you guys were like glazed over eyes when i said that i was like no so i i'm so glad that you're into psychology and and i thought we could just start with each of you 
just talking a little bit about yourself as sort of condensed as can be, why this sort of minimalistic aesthetic uh, touches your, uh, tickles your fancy. Mm. As condensed as we can be. So I, I have problems with brevity, as ironic as that might be, as one of the minimalists. Although there was this time I was at a conference and I was speaking there and there was this booklet they handed out with each of the speakers and everyone had this really long bio in it, right? Like, I'm the chief technology officer at Microsoft, whatever it was. And, and these long, really impressive bios. Well, I apparently didn't take mine very seriously because when I had to fill mine out, it just said, I'm a simple man. <laughs> and, and they're passing out this booklet to everyone who's attending there. But so many people came up to me because all my bio, there was a picture of my face, my name, Joshua Fields Milburn. And then all it said was, I'm a simple man. And so many people said, yours is the only bio that I read and enjoyed. <laughs> and I think fundamentally, that's what, as the minimalists, we try to get down to the essence. What is essential for us? What's non-essential but adds value to our lives? And then get rid of anything that's superfluous, anything that's junk. And I'm sure we can go into our backstories during all of this. But, but ultimately, I've known Ryan since we were fat little fifth graders so over 30 years now. We grew up really poor, thought the reason we were so unhappy when we were growing oh, up is we didn't have any money. And so when I turned 18, I went out and I got an entry-level corporate job. And I spent the next dozen years climbing the corporate ladder. By age 30, I'd sort of achieved everything I ever wanted, the six-figure salary, the luxury cars, mm. the, the big house with more toilets and people. And all the stuff, mm. right, that showed that I was successful. But of course, I was discontented. I was in debt, kind of miserable. Two things happened to me. My mother died. My, mar my, mar my marriage ended both in the same month. And those two events really forced me to, to look around and, and start to question what had become my life's focus. And I realized, man, I'm really focused on so-called success and achievement. And in our culture, that means the accumulation of stuff to show how achieved we are, how successful we are, but it wasn't bringing me joy, meaning, purpose, peace, contentment. Mm. In fact, it was, it was just kind of driving me crazy. I was living the American dream, but it wasn't my dream. Powerful. TK, what tickles your fancy? <laughs> the, the, the possibility of a TV show to rival a million little things called Fat Little Fifth Graders. <laughs> I, I think we've got something in the making, man. <laughs> yeah, that's great, man. <laughs> well, I mean, for me, I can remember uh, periods in my life where even though I had the things that I wanted or sometimes didn't have the things that I wanted, it didn't matter because I walked around so heavy in my own soul, arguing with people in my imagination, calling to mind unpleasant events from my past, mm -hmm. anticipating improbable events happening in the future and coming up with defenses against them right now in the present. And there just came a point in my life where I realized, man, it's not about my relationship with stuff, the stuff that I'm pursuing or the stuff that I possess. It's about my relationship with this philosophical and psychological baggage that weighs me down and just getting underneath that and unpacking that. So I like to think of myself as a philosophical minimalist, if you will, where I help people deal with the beliefs and behaviors that get in the way of living the life they want to live. But I mean, that's, that's pretty much my relationship to minimalism. And that's what inspires me to have these types of conversations, just really appreciating from my own life and my own mm. grapple with darkness, just how empowering it can be to just go within and unpack your own baggage. Mm. I love that. Can I ask a TK question real quick? 
Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So when did you join the band? So it's been about seven months now. It's almost a year okay. now, man. July it's almost a year. Last year. Time yeah. goes by so fast. Amazing. Right. Yeah. I, I originally came as a guest on this show about what? Four or five years ago? Four or five mm-hmm. years ago. Josh is like the LeBron James. You know how he recalls all the different moments in a game? He can remember the exact episode number for everything that you might mm-hmm. call to mind. But yeah, about five years ago, I, I did an episode on here and we just like really, uh, we got along really well. I had great camaraderie and mm-hmm. we did several other episodes together. And then it was kind of a point like in the movie office space mm-hmm. where there's that guy that's just always around. It's like, hey, do you even work here? And I was like, uh, yeah, I think so. So <laughs> they gave me a job. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay, yeah. Ryan. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for me, man, I mean, you know, I like many people my uh life started out with a very uh crappy childhood and a lot of that had to do with our finances and not having the things we needed so i grew up thinking that i could i could i could look externally for for something to complete me and make me a better person and after trying that through my early to mid to late 20s um I realized very quickly that nothing externally was going to make me any more complete than I already was. And that's where minimalism uh, came into the picture for me. It really helped me take a look at my life and, and really get clear on what my priorities were. And, and that's what really drew me to this whole idea of simplicity and, and living intentionally. Awesome. Well, thanks to all three of you for making an intro. I don't often have three guests on my podcast at one time, so I'm a little overwhelmed, but this is amazing to hear that from all of you. God, everything we do is blanketed in irony, by the way. Like, you guys are the minimalist, but you own underwear. <laughs> but there's three of you. <laughs> Which one of these wearing the underwear today? Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, that's so, that is funny. Like people probably all the time are like scanning to see if there's hypocrisy you know like mm. oh you're really a minimalist but you say this it's like that's why i would rather just say like i'm I, and i don't do this but sometimes i think i'd rather just say i'm an asshole than a than a nice guy because <laughs> if you say i'm a nice guy people are always like oh well you say you're a nice guy well why do you do that but if you're an asshole then you can always be like you know like uh surprise people when you're nice but anyway <laughs> yeah you know my, my theory though is that we are all hypocrites Every single one of us. The question is, is like, how much of a hypocrite, you know, am I being on a day-to-day basis? I try to not be one as much, but I could give you a million different reasons why, yeah, uh, I think we're all probably a little bit of a hypocrite. I hope that I'm a hypocrite, right? Because it means I'm willing to change my mind about something if I'm given new evidence, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'm clinging to a dogma. And so, Mm. yeah, of course, people look for hypocrisy. People will catch me in the airport sometimes. I have my one carry-on bag with me, and they're like... I figured you'd be traveling like Jack Reacher. I can't believe you have a bag when you're traveling. <laughs> you call yourself a like. I guess they're trying to be cute or endear themselves to me, but they just yeah. kind of come off as well, a jerk. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think this brings up an interesting point about integrity. I think the fastest way to cease being a saint is becoming preoccupied with the phenomenon of being seen as a saint. It's good to strive to be good. But the moment you're obsessed with whether or not other people give you that label, yeah. you're a slave to the fickle perceptions, the ever-changing, fluctuating ideas and opinions that people have about you. We've talked about on our show before, you know, this contemporary concern with being on the right side of history and how, you know, 100 years from now, the next generation can come along and say, everybody who lived during that time period, you're all a bunch canceled. of idiots, right? You're all so canceled, all you can yeah. do... 
is ground yourself in authenticity and truthfulness and honesty. And so I think it's good to be a non-hypocrite, but I think the moment you get obsessed with convincing people that you're not a hypocrite, they can still control you just as easily. You're a hypocrite. Oh, uh, no, I'm not. I, I can prove to you that I'm, that I'm consistent. You've already lost. You know, if someone sees you as a hypocrite, it's not your job to try to change that. It's your job to put yourself out there as honestly and authentically as you can and to just respect the fact that it's not going to resonate with, any, with everyone anyway. You know, that's where the peace that. comes from for mm. me. I love that. Yeah, what you were describing there for a second is something we call in the psychological literature communal narcissism, where some people say that they're the best at helping others. You know, I am better than anyone who's ever lived at helping others. Now, you guys are not minimalist minimalist narcissists, as far as I can tell. It's not like you're saying, we're the best at minimalism. You're saying, just simply, minimalism matters and it's helpful. Is that right? You're not minimalist narcissists. No, not at all. I mean, we would never prescribe minimalism to anyone. It's more it's more about like are you someone who feels weighed down by your stuff? Does your life feel out of control? If so, then let Josh and I and TK talk about how our life was out of control and how we approached it with this thing called minimalism to help uh create a more simple life. So, yeah, we we try to come at it from that angle rather than a prescriptive angle. I think yeah. the most consistent position would be to say we're the least of all minimalists. <laughs> <laughs> I will say though that I am very humble. <laughs> <laughs> the most humble guy there's ever been. Exactly. <laughs> Look, I, you guys, you guys are so funny. Well, I, I liked you guys instantly. I met you at a party. I liked you guys instantly. I felt like your being was exactly what TK was just saying. Your being was authentic. Your being was it seemed to be about being <laughs> uh, like yeah. you're just like your energy. I like your energy. So obviously yeah. that's why I'm excited to have you on the show. Yeah. Likewise. I felt the same way about you when I met right. you, man. For sure. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. I wasn't fishing for that compliment, <laughs> but go on. No, I like this idea of psychological richness, you know, and how it doesn't depend on the amount of things you have or the, how rich your money is. Can you kind of unpack for me a little more what you see as uh, the main elements of psychological richness? PK? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I see psychological richness as a recognition of the fact that abundance begins from within. I think the greatest tragedy around most people's conception of abundance is that our concept of abundance itself is rooted in scarcity because We only see abundance in terms of money. We limit our concept of abundance to physical things. But to have an abundant concept of abundance means that you see abundance in a way that is creative, in a way that is multifaceted. And so one of the things that is at the heart of the minimalist understanding of psychological richness for us is that a life well lived, a life that is most fully human, is a life that is grounded in creative expression. And that is the opposite of consumerism, not the opposite of consumption, which is a part of life, but it's the ism behind it that changes things. Consumerism is about orienting your life around things that are outside the self and seeking completion by going out there, obtaining something that you don't already have, becoming something that you are not yet, and you're always chasing, right? But the abundance mindset is when you say, I am already complete. There is nothing fundamentally wrong with me. And I live my life 
in a way that expresses my already existing state of abundance, my already existing mm. state of self-love, self-respect, self-care, and so on. And so when you live from that state, it doesn't cause you to antagonize or resist material things, but it establishes you in right relationship to material, material things so that you can use them to bring joy to other people's lives and to enhance your own. Fellas? Yeah, I think the, that's yeah. the, the paradox of minimalism is I actually get far more value from my material things now. Yeah. Why? Because the clutter is out of the way. Like the literal mm. clutter, the physical clutter, right? We often talk about that. Minimalism for most people starts with the stuff. But we'd be remiss if we said, well, that's it. You just go home, you rent a dumpster, you throw all your stuff in it, and now you will experience perpetual bliss. But of course, mm. simplifying your life doesn't really work like that. You can go home today and throw everything away and be utterly miserable because you got rid of all of your pacifiers. It's about that relationship to stuff. And part of our relationship now is not abundance, it's excess, masquerading mm. as abundant. Mm, yes. We're pretending that if I heap more things on, mm. then I'm abundant. And of course, if I get more, I'm even more abundant. But clutter is just anything that gets in the way. So one thing that is clutter for you might be essential or value adding for me and vice versa. But that is true also outside of the material possession. I think the biggest thing we've learned over the last 12, 13 years that we've been the minimalists mm -hmm. is that the clutter extends way beyond the physical clutter. There's, of course, mm -hmm. now digital clutter, which might be one of the biggest problem areas, especially for young folks. You know, my daughter is nine, and I'm terrified of the potential digital clutter that can enter her life at any moment. But then we have relationship clutter. We have calendar clutter. We're also busy, busy, busy. Busy is the worst four-letter word in the English language. Or we have community clutter. We feel like I need to be surrounded by more and more and more people in my community. And that actually gets in the way of the, the meaningful interactions. We have information clutter, education clutter, career or work clutter. There's a lot of clutter in our lives, and it's not just about the stuff. Wow. That's pretty, you know, one pretty more add on, deep. sorry, yeah. one more add on to psychological richness is I think there's this fundamental universal human need to be generous. We all know that there are limits to how happy we can be by getting things, but mm. there's no debate about the fact that we can never attain anything that even remotely resembles happiness if we are not in a state of helping, serving and giving, which is why we dream of the day of retiring. But then the moment we get there after a little vacation time, a little relaxation time, What's the first thing we do? We go get a job. We go start a project because we need to contribute some aspect of who we are to the world. And psychological richness is about empowering people to be generous in a way that is not limited to the stuff. But that's something that you can't see if the stuff is in the way distracting you from the inner space, the inner richness that gives meaning and value to the stuff. So for us, it's about empowering people to be generous in the way that our nature demands of us. So what you're saying is you are enough as you are as long as you give to others. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you, you, you are enough as you are even if you don't give to others, okay. but the recognition of your enoughness is what causes that organic response of generosity. So you don't mm. give to others in order to become enough. You recognize that you are enough, and in that recognition, you find yourself naturally being generous in ways that are unique to your own creativity cool well, i mean just just yeah. to add to that i i think like when you or when people in general when they feel like they have enough like when they can they can look at their situation and be like oh like i have plenty 
for what I need in my life, that is when people will start to look externally on what they can give. Now, I don't think you have to be in that spot to look externally, but certainly when your mind is quieter and you feel like you're not, you know, stressing out to to figure out where the next meal is coming from or how are you going to pay the utility bill? I mean, once you get past that, I think it is easier for people to start looking externally. Although again, not saying you necessarily need that, but but certainly may help. It certainly helps. That's cool. And thanks for uh, rolling with my cheekiness there, TK. Because one of my pet peeves, one of my pet peeves is this constant like pressure we put on people to give, 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 give. And mm-hmm. we don't, and I created a concept called healthy selfishness, which I think people need more of, which is you're allowed to just approve of yourself and yes. not always seek external approval. So I get triggered sometimes when yeah. I when people say things like, you know, like they give the message you are enough, but then they like promote giving. They're like promoting it like as though that's like the, the way to be a worthy human. But you can be, can you be a worthy human by, let's say you, your life is minimalistic as can be. So let's say, what does it mean, what does it mean for a, minim, a minimalistic being? So let's say you meditate every day. You you don't really have many things around you in terms of things that you buy. Let's say you have a small studio apartment. You make enough working, you know, at a store to uh, meet your minimum basic needs and you're happy and you don't feel a compulsion to, to do anything else with your life. Is that enough of an existence? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. What? That sounds awesome to me. I mean, it's <laughs> me ultimately <too. laughs> finding out what is enough for you because... The thing you just said, and you're happy, and I don't really know what that means. I think happiness is a relatively nebulous word, and you, if you were to poll 100 people on the street, ask them what happiness is, I think you'll get probably 97 different answers, right? Mm-hmm. It could be anything from you know, abiding, perpetual bliss, or it could be that spike of dopamine when my Instagram post got 100 likes, right? That could be happiness for two different people, right? But if you're talking about some sort of abiding contentment. Yes. I think that comes only from identifying what is enough. We never stop to say, what is enough for me? How much is enough money? How much is enough time spent at work? How many square feet are enough? Hmm. What is enough in terms of my car, my transportation or my vocation or my education? I have a friend who's working on their fourth PhD. There's nothing wrong with that, but I asked him like, how much is enough? And he's like, I don't know. I just know I'd want another one. Right. And that's not a judgment because judgment is just a, a mirror reflecting my own insecurities, but it's understanding that I found what is enough for me with respect to that. And, and uh, if I decide that it's no longer enough for whatever reason, it's a compelling reason to pursue something else, that enough point can change over time as well. When I first discovered minimalism, I was in my late 20s, 29 or 30, and uh, you know, I'm 42 now. And what is enough? for me now has changed because I Mm. have a daughter and I have a wife and we own a house together and I have a car and like the things will change over time. So it's not about, I mean, I really wish it was Scott. I can get down. Here's the list of the 100 items I own and now Mm. I'm happy. And if I give this list to you, you will also experience the same perpetual happiness that I experienced because that would be wonderful if I could just make it prescriptive like that, but it's not mechanical. This is, this is psychological, right? And, and, and it's emotional. We, we tie a lot of emotions to our things and the outcomes and the achievements. And I think the reason we often do that is because we haven't identified how much is enough. We don't keep asking that question. And so I, I keep asking that question, does this add value to my life? And if not, mm. 
I'm willing to let it go, whether that is a, a thing or mm. it is a career, it is a project, it is a relationship, business, whatever it might be. My willingness to let go means I'm no longer obligated to be there. If I want to be there, I'm actually there, not out of obligation, but out, mm. out of a, a true devotion or uh, a compulsion to, to participate in that. And if I don't want to participate, that's totally fine too. Yeah, I think that, and I love that, that every, in, every person should find out what is the minimalistic existence that works for them, is how I would put it. Um, and I love that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's tough because things are constantly coming at you in life, you know? You can, for instance, I can decide today, like, you know what? I have enough friends. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> you know what? I have enough, you know, I don't know. I can go down the list. And then you, you can kind of come across as an asshole. It's like things are constantly coming at you like, hey, do you want to be my friend? No, I'm good. <laughs> I've reached. Mm -hmm. I'm good. Hey, do you want to do this? No, I have my I'm, I have enough. It's, it's hard to to realistically live in a world where you can kind of just protect what you your, your, your being, you know, your existential minimalism can be difficult to protect in a world where things are constantly coming at you. Does that make sense? It does. Our preferences, our bandwidth our resources, they're all constantly changing and evolving. And I think, you know, for, for me, minimalism helps me to not cling so tightly to these, these, uh, these things that I have in my life, because when they do become obsolete or when my preferences change, because my grip is loosened, I can let those things go a lot easier and I can kind of go with the flow because yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Life changes Things come at you so fast, and I think that uh, again for me, m minimalism helps me evolve with that 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 uh, changing life that happens to all of us. I think if you're unwilling mm -hmm. to say no, I, I get that because it's really easy to say yes right now. You're committing your future self to some future obligation, right? Without mm -hmm. thinking about it. it's like going into debt, right? It sounds great. I think I can afford the car payment. I know at least I can next month, but it's an 83 month loan and it's 700 dollars a month. I'm committing my future self six and a half years from now to continue to pay for this damn car that is now frustrating me and the repairs. And maybe I'd like to move in a different direction, but I can't because some version of me in the past said yes. And so saying yes, just haphazardly is actually inconsiderate. It's inconsiderate to me and my, my future self, but it's also inconsiderate to the other people because now you're creating these obligatory relationships. I once heard uh, the great philosopher Ben Affleck say, that you never want to, if someone asks you to, to commit to something, don't say yes to it unless you would say yes to it today. Because it's easy to put something on my calendar six and a half months from now. But if it's not a yes today, if it's not a hell yeah today, mm. well, then it's a no for me. And that's okay. No is a complete sentence. Yeah. In economics, you have this concept called creative destruction, which the core mm -hmm. of the idea is that anytime you introduce innovation, you disrupt existing industries and create a lot of discomfort. And I think that's true at the micro level, in our own individual lives. Anytime we take a step towards progress, anytime we say yes to what's healthy, yes to what's good for us, then that's no to someone else's expectations of you. You might be the hero of your own story, but you might be a role player in someone else's story. And the moment you say, I am going to take ownership of my story by writing this particular subplot or whatever it may be, then you're, you're changing who you are in someone else's story and that makes them uncomfortable. And so whether you describe yourself as a minimalist or anything else, anytime you start saying yes to yourself, 
you're going to experience that reality shit test where the universe gives you a chance to confirm that, yes, you sure you want this? Kind of like when you try to delete a file, your computer's like, hey, you sure you want to do this? The universe is going to say, hey, you sure you want to do this? Because I'm going to like you a little bit less. There are a few areas of your life that are going to get a little bit harder in the short term. You sure you want to do this? And when you say yes, you confirm that yes, and you make that a habit, habit, the people in your life begin to respect you and it becomes a little bit easier to deal with that. But it does take practice. Yeah, I love that, TK. And, and, and I just know it's a common thread among a lot of what you all are saying, which is um, there, there's a very like mindful vibe I'm getting from all of you. Like there's a sort of like take that extra pause and like, like, are you sure you want to do this? You know, and uh, so how much does mindfulness play a role in your lives? I was just talking to a friend downstairs here. He's an architect in, in the same building we're in. We're not actually in outer space. I was just kidding about that <laughs> earlier. Um, oh, but... I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Centerview's over. <laughs> I thought that was really cool. <laughs> I, was, I was talking to this uh, friend downstairs, and um, he was working on a creative project, and the person got really upset with him, and then he escalated it immediately. And then you know, they're essentially getting into a fight together, right? And the question I always ask myself is like, will I be happy about my response a day from now, a week mm. from now, a month from now, a year mm. from now. And if the answer is no, well, what is it then? It, it's that it's because I'm reacting out of emotion, but our emotions as real as they feel, they aren't real. They are some sort of response to some past trauma that I have, some mm. past indiscretion that I had, some uh, expectation that I had that was not met. And now I'm reacting to the past by escalating my present, which is actually going, going to harm this relationship in the future. And so quite often I will just pause and say, would I be happy with this a day from now? And if the answer is no, or ah, I'm not sure, if it's anything but a hell yeah, then it's a, hey, it's probably better to be, be quiet here. A friend of mine, Nate Green, he said, mm -hmm. he's, he's a real quiet, contemplative guy. And he said, I speak only when it adds more value than silence. Wow. And that is a, a hard truth to try to live up to. But man, it's, uh, I think it's probably something worth striving for. Mm. Oh, I, I think it was that. Bertrand Russell who said, uh, most of humanity's problems boil down to people's inability to sit in a, a room alone with themselves. For me, the way I look at mindfulness is kind of like, oh imagine going to the ocean on a really windy day and you look at the water and the wind is beating against the waves and you just see the surface of the ocean. But then you come back on a different day where it's really calm and really quiet and you look at that same ocean and you can see through the ocean and you can see that it's teeming with life, all sorts of things uh, underneath. And I, I think that's a great metaphor for the soul. You know, when, when the mind is clouded with thoughts and anxieties and distractions and we're so focused on that to-do list and we're just in hustle mode, there is a richness, an interior depth that you don't really get to pierce. But when you can quiet down, you can calm down and you can still yourself, you can see into your soul and there's so much substance there. And most of the answers to the questions that we wrestle with, a lot of the solutions that we feel like they elude us, a lot of that is right there within. And so it's, it's a cliche that you have to slow down to go faster, but it's true. It's only a cliche because we have Instagram and everybody puts the quotes out there every day, but are you doing it? Mm. That's the key. If you take the time to do it, man, there's so much peace and power to be found in just taking that time to go within. That's what mindfulness is to me. And I try to make a habit of 
taking a walk or having some quiet time every day mm. for that. I mean, that's really insightful. I feel like a lot of people are scared to see into their soul. And so they distract themselves with things. Do you guys feel that a lot of people buy stuff to like fill a hole in their soul? Because I know I do. <laughs> I need your help. <laughs> I have not actually owned a bed in 10 years. I do all the trial periods and then I return it. <laughs> the day before the trial period's over because I'm like, I bet I can find a better bed. Now, my friend Dan said the other day, sometimes a bed is not just a bed, Scott. <laughs> Maybe mm. there's something deeper going on there. So anyway, I need your help. Um, do, do you think that is true, though, that sometimes people buy things uh, because they're avoiding maybe seeing into their soul in some way? Am I being oh, too dramatic? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can only speak from my own experience, but I mean, there was a point in my life where I didn't know what was important, but one thing was clear. I had this gaping void in my life. So mm. back in my corporate days, I tried to fill that void the same way many people do uh, with stuff, lots of stuff. I was filling the void with as many consumer purchases as possible. You know, I bought mm. uh, TVs, electronics, a new car every couple years. I had a, you know, big uh, 2000 square foot condo with um, two living rooms, which I have no idea why a single guy would ever need two <laughs> living rooms. I had two of them and it was never enough. I thought at the time that eventually that void would get smaller and smaller. And I thought happiness just had to be somewhere around the corner, but the stuff didn't fill the void. It, it just widened it. And uh, mm. yeah, it got to, it got to a point where um, I really had to start questioning what that void was. I'll tell you the, the one thing that I've really come to appreciate about the void mm. is that I don't, for me, it never goes away and that's okay because it does become a little bit smaller in the sense of the less that I desire, the smaller the void will get, but there's, there's a beauty in like making friends with that void because mm. you do get an opportunity to really, I get an opportunity to look at who I am as a person and why do I have that void? And it goes back to so many things. I mean, it's, it goes back to different traumas in my life. It goes back to um, being raised in a very religious household. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I think I have that void. And instead of me mm. trying to ignore it and trying to come up with some magical formula to just get rid of it, it's about recognizing it and being able to sit with it and make space for it without letting it ruin my life. I would just append that with, by saying that we often are told that there's a void mostly by marketers or advertisers that want to sell us stuff. And so in order to sell us stuff, they have to create a solution to a problem that might not actually exist. In fact, we use pejorative words like void, right? But when Ryan and I lived in Montana, you don't go to Montana, you go to Glacier National Park and say, wow, look at this void. We really need to fill this with some skyscrapers, some condos, some chain restaurants. Let's fill the void, right? I mean, mm. someone might say that. Some sort of developer might say that, look at this void. But no, you say, wow, look at the open space here. Isn't this peaceful? Isn't this calm? Isn't this complete? It's not incomplete because of the lack of condos. Just like you aren't incomplete because of a lack of the perfect mattress, right? By the way, yeah. the word complete is a fascinating one. Yeah. We had, uh, what was her name? Catherine Schaffler on the podcast, uh, on the Minimalist podcast, and she wrote a book about perfectionism. 
And I used to have a different view of perfect. I used to think that it was impossible to be perfect because perfect meant flawless. Well, no, that's not what perfect means. If you look at the Latin root, it's just uh, per facere, so per and facere, so completely done. And so you go to Montana and you see Glacier National Park, it's already completely done. In fact, mm. adding condos to Glacier National Park would incomplete it. And the same is true with us, right? If I heap more things onto me, I'm not against material possessions. We all need some stuff. But if I just need more, 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 that's not how you complete yourself. That's how you incomplete yourself. Wow. Oh, you guys. You guys. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't, I'm, I'm so impressed with you guys. So you're saying a lot of things that really cut to the core of uh, the truth of human existence. There's, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the givens of existence that, uh, that existential psychologists talk about. And I always love starting from that point of view, you know, and this whole idea that the void never goes away. That's a bold thing to say, Ryan. That mm. is a, I just want to like double click for a second. Thank you for saying that. First of all, <laughs> it has some rawness because you often get a lot of like BS in the spiritual slash self-help world where it's like, you know, like sort of like you are enough and, and, mm. and you will feel complete if all you do is this 10 minute meditation. And I don't know, I feel like you guys are doing some real talk here, you know? There's yeah. like, yeah, no, like, part part of the human condition is never feeling complete, in a way, you know? Yeah. But there are so many things we can do to feel less broken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it is unfortunate in the sense of we are offering all these fixes and these solutions for these everyday i want to say problems but they're not even problems it's these everyday discomforts hmm. and you know just speaking to the void specifically it's like instead of offering this magic solution to make it go away and to make you feel complete to me it's empowering to see it as something that i can use to understand myself better and as josh said it doesn't have to be a negative thing i mean that that void, and you kind of alluded to it as well, it keeps us uh, driven. It keeps us inspired in a certain way. Like, you know, after we did our first documentary, we didn't say, oh, well, that's it. We did it. We finally got on Netflix and life is complete now. No, it was like, wow, that was a lot of fun. We could probably create some other things that could be just as meaningful or, or just as impactful. Um, what else can we do? And it's, it is that, that incompleteness, so to speak, that inspired us to continue to, you know, to go on and make our second documentary. It's why, you know, so that's why Josh's friend is getting multiple PhDs is mm. because they want to learn, they want to grow. And that void, instead of looking at it as a, how can I get to the end? It's, it's more about um, how can, you know, I look at it as how can I leverage it to become a better version of myself? Mm. Oh, wow. I love that. Mm. Right. Trying to avoid the void is kind of like trying to make music without silence. Mm. Music is a combination of silence and sound, right? Sound is easier to notice because you can hear it, but the silence is what makes the sound possible. And there's an analogous relationship between space and matter. It's like we tend to treat space as like this invisible container that houses things and spaces in the background and matter stuff things that's the real star of the show 
And so anything that is space-like, it's like, oh, that's just secondary. That doesn't really matter. The stuff of life is the stuff. But if we see space as the source of vitality, the source of play, the source of creativity, we stop running from it and we are willing to confront it. We're willing to engage it, even if there's something scary there, because even the scary stuff offers us wisdom that would not be otherwise possible. Uh, C.S. Lewis in the Space Trilogy describes his character, for instance, who has this leech-like creature that's attached to him and it creates a lot of pain and he complains about it all the time. Then he encounters this being who says, I can destroy that for you. And he's like, oh, uh, no, 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 no. I, 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 it, it'll hurt me and it'll hurt the being. And so he just settles for a life of medicating the pain. And then at one point, this being finally talks him into just letting him destroy it for him. And he does. And then that leech-like creature turns into this great, beautiful dragon-like creature upon which he rides to his own freedom. And so the void is like that. We run from it. We treat it like it's scary when we look at it as the background. But when we recognize it to be the source of life itself, we confront it, we engage it. And even if there are monsters there, by acknowledging those monsters and asking them, what are you here to teach me? We transform them into the angels and allies that show us the way to be uniquely us, show us the way to be free. And we recognize that we are enough not because we know everything and can do everything, but we are enough even in our own flaws, even in our own failings, because that's part of what it means to be enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to say too, like, we're not advocating for people to live empty lives, right? Like we're not advocating for people to, to take that, that feeling of the void and amplify this. It's more about um, just what TK was saying about not running from it. I mean, any type of emptiness or void or negative feeling that we have. I mean, this is a symptom of something that we probably should look at rather than try and cover up. Yeah, and I don't want to moralize the void either. Yeah. I think that's what we often do. Void mm -hmm. must be bad, therefore mm. filling the void must be good. Discomfort, bad. Comfort, good. But of course, mm -hmm. we can all think of a dozen scenarios in which comfort is stifling and mm. comfort is causing dis-ease and dysfunction in our lives. And of course, discomfort is causing growth or causing pleasure or causing ecstasy, right? And and there are these things that we, we well, we're in a society that tends to moralize essentially everything, right? <laughs> this is good, therefore that is bad, and there's this, this binary there. You were talking about something being scary earlier. Scary must be bad, and therefore what? Not scary is good? Well, then why do any of us go watch a horror film, right? Because we want to be scared within certain limits, right? And so I think as soon as we start moralizing any one thing, and it's same with, with clutter even, right? We're not moralizing clutter, or we don't do advertisements on our podcast. One of our slogans is advertisements suck. We just don't like it, but it's not a moralizing stance the same way that if I like step in a puke outside of our studio here, I'm not going to think it's immoral. I'm just going to be kind of grossed out by it. Uh, same way I'm grossed out by advertisements, right? And so it's not a moralizing stance. It's just understanding our preferences and being okay with those preferences without having to justify them to anyone else. You don't need anybody else to be wrong in order to do what's best for you. That's right. Yeah. I could just listen to you guys all day. <laughs> I could just listen to you guys all day. Joshua, you, you just, you just uh, talked about something there that um, I saw a video of yours talking about Instagram ads. You said you don't like ads, but I saw something you said about Instagram ads. Can you help me with that too? Because I, I'm a sucker, man. I'm a, I am see they're like, oh, new cooling blanket. 
Click. Yeah. Hey, just to Click. make you feel better, we're all suckers to a certain degree. Oh. <laughs> well, thanks for making me feel a little better. Yeah, no but, worries. Uh, I'm I'm king sucker. I have like 50 things, you know, from Instagram ads uh, that I like reg- two weeks later, I look around my room. I'm like, what the hell have I done? Yeah, that video on YouTube says never buy anything from an Instagram ad. But it was, yeah, as I said in the video, it's mm. not a message to anyone else. I'm not prescribing that. It was a reminder yeah. for me if I ever am suckered into wanting to buy anything again, I need to go back and watch that video to remind myself don't buy anything from an Instagram ad. And mm-hmm. the reason that I say that is there are statisticians and demographers who are some of the brightest minds in the world who are paid six, seven figures a year to aggregate your eyeballs onto their products in a way mm-hmm. that is pleasing and dopamine enhancing in the moment. And they, well, it's manipulative, right? And yeah. if you want to unlove someone, what do you do? You manipulate them to your point of view. Or if you're a marketer, you manipulate them to buy your product or service. And that's the biggest problem I have. I have several problems with advertisers. That's one of the biggest ones is they're so manipulative. Mm. Also, I think the entire infrastructure of the internet happens to now be set up. We've come to expect everything for free and Therefore, we're not willing to pay for things. Well, if I'm not paying for it, I am now the product that they are now selling to Instagram. I'm part of the demographics. If you want to market to this particular group of people, I'm now included in that. They're going to market to me, right? And of course, anytime I see uh, another black shirt, like I need another black t-shirt, right? Anytime I see another black t-shirt on Instagram, like, oh, maybe this one's better than all of the ones that I like just fine. Yeah. Well, what is that? Mm-hmm. It's, it's about feeling incomplete. Mm. And I didn't feel incomplete before I saw the ad. So what happened? The marketer does a really slick job. I don't know if you ever read Infinite Jest, but one of my favorite things about the book is every year in Infinite Jest, hmm. it, they've replaced the, the chronological years. Like 2018 is no longer 2018. It's the year of the depend adult undergarment. And so it's this dystopian future in which every year is sponsored. And so we're no longer, and by the way, we're already doing that now, right? We, we don't say at the Lakers arena, we say the crypto.com arena, right? And we do that because it is sponsored. And I don't think it's morally wrong for people to advertise, but I do think it's manipulative. And um, yeah, I just have a problem with, with manipulation, with coercion, even with yeah. convincing. And we, are, and we have different views on that, by yeah. the way, which is what makes a lot of our discussions fun. Yeah. That, that's not me saying, I love manipulation. <laughs> go on. I realize that's what I sound like. <laughs> Can we like go that? on. Go on. Wait, tell me more of your view. Tell me more of your view. So I'm not grossed out by advertisements in the okay. way that Josh is. I love commercials. I think ads are in so many ways a beautiful, wonderful, creative uh, expression of how we market things and so on. And I often play angel's advocate when we do our advertising uh, sucks uh, segment on the show. Hmm. Where we agree is when he talks about ads on this show, he's talking about it from the vantage point of maintaining control over your own narrative, over your own voice. And one of the reasons so many people today are scared to laugh at what they genuinely think is funny They're afraid to say what they really believe and why people are neutralizing their personalities in order to be as presidential, aka boring as possible, 
is because they're afraid that Tropicana or Nike is going to say, oh, no, uh, we can't stand by that joke or sorry, you said the word poop and we just don't want poop and Tropicana next to each other. And so people are losing their authenticity in this quest to add chase. And so advertiser capture is controlling content. And that's really at the heart of what people call cancel culture, I believe. And, and, and Josh articulates this better than me. And so I'm down with the fact that we don't do advertising on our show because that means we truly get to say what we think, what we feel, and what we believe. And that's freedom. And I don't, and I, I don't think people dream of having ads for the most part. They dream of having the freedom to say what they really want to say. And, and they try to negotiate having that as much as possible. So that's where we agree. But we talk all the time on the show about how we, how we have like nuanced differences with advertising and so on. Mm-hmm. Well, I love my Bomba socks. By the way, have I mentioned that I'm sponsored by Bomba Socks? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm just, I love them. I really do. I was just agreeing with you. They're comfy. My wife has some that I uh, steal all the time and wear. It's, it's not like the things I advertise like I, I actually don't like. I actually passed uh, the other day on something. But no, I hear you. I, I hear you. And I can have joy for things, right? Like you're not like I don't have to feel guilty that I have this 85 inch TV that I've been saving up years to buy and I love it. Like and it gives me joy. Like, I don't need to, like, feel, like, guilty for having joy for some things, right? Actually, I've been meaning to talk to you about that TV. <laughs> oh, darn it. Is this I really an intervention? <laughs> no, I, re- I already feel guilty. Yes. No, we would never make anyone feel guilty for the things that they owned. I mean, minimalism, again, it's just something that might help uh, you out or might might be a tool that you could use in your life if you are experiencing a lot of uh, discontent if you're experiencing chaos in the home and your life with your physical possessions or maybe it, it is uh, mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, certainly if someone came to me and was like, I love my life, I'm doing great. And then I see an 85 inch TV, I wouldn't be like, well, you shouldn't be doing that great. I mean, that's, that's, uh, 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 that's something that, that's something we would never do to anyone. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're, we're not deprivationists, right? And we're certainly not ascetics. I do think there is some benefit in temporary deprivation. Ryan, early on, when we first started, before we started The Minimalist, in fact, he came to me one day and he said, why the hell are you so happy? And I explained that I had been, <laughs> spent the last eight months simplifying my life, getting rid of the excess clutter, paring down. I, over the course of about eight months, I got rid of 90% of my material possessions, which sound, sounds really radical at first. And so you realize that according to the LA Times, the average American home has 300,000 items in it. And so getting rid of 90% of 90% of your stuff still means you have thousands of items that you own, mm. right? And so I did get rid of a lot of things, a lot of excess, a lot of junk, a lot of things that were in the way. I was questioning what adds value to my life. And it started with that question, how might your life be better with less? And that question led to another question was, does this add value to my life? And I started doing that until it became habitual, like literally going to all of my possessions. Does this add value to my life? Does this add value to my life? Does this add value to my life? And then I started letting go one thing at a time and it became this snowball effect. And, and eventually I was just letting go of things habitually because I realized most of the things I brought into my life to bring me happy weren't adding any value to my life at all. In fact, they were extracting value because we don't think about the true cost of a thing. The cost of a thing goes well beyond the price tag. If you buy a thing, you still have to store the thing and, and clean the thing and worry about the thing and paint the thing and change the batteries in the thing or replace the oil in the thing. And then of course, protect the thing. And if you break it, you repair the thing. And if you lose it, you have to replace the thing. And 
If you don't have enough room for it, you have to get a storage locker to store the thing. There are six times the number of storage lockers compared to the number of Starbucks in the United States. And there are a lot of Starbucks here, right? That's a relatively unique problem to America specifically, but consumerism is worldwide now. And so when we are embracing minimalism, we're thinking about the things that get in the way. We're often talking about value ultimately. So Mm. if you get value from your 85 inch TV, awesome. But it's not about that thing is bringing you joy. The joy is already in in you. It enhances your experience of life. And that is wonderful. And if it ceases to enhance your experience of life, then it's also wonderful to let it go. I'll tell you this though. If you went and bought 30 of those 85 inch TVs, you're not going to get 30 times the joy from it. In fact, you might end up getting much less joy because those damn things are just going to get in the way. I love that. No, I've been following. Look, I've been following your 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 whole protocol. Day one, one thing. Day two, two things. Day thirty, you throw out thirty things. I've been I've been doing it. I'm on day like ten of this, oh, and awesome. in fact, it has enabled me to get this TV because I I've been uh, selling lots of things in my apartment that I don't need, and I've been using that money to actually get the one thing I do want. So maybe maybe you are proud of me. <laughs> Yeah, no, of course we're proud of you. But no, I mean, isn't that amazing? Like when you you let go of the excess, you make room for the things that truly add value. We were doing a live stream. uh, This was years ago when we were living in Montana. And uh, someone had mentioned something in the comments. They're like, you guys don't seem like you've gotten rid of anything that's important like trying to call us out on not being minimalist because we hadn't, you know, uh, deprived ourselves. But when I, when we read that comment, it was like, well, of course we didn't get rid of anything that was important. In fact, the things that we have in our lives are the most important things, and we were able to discover those uh, from letting go of the excess. And, and th- that's the power of keeping that word game in the game, right? I love how you said you're playing the minimalist game because it's not the minimalist rule it's not the minimalist religion. It's mm-hmm. not the minimalist doctrine or the minimalist law. It's a game. And, and I like what James P. Carr says here, that the first rule of play is he who must play cannot play. The moment you take it upon yourself as an external obligation, as a moral duty to fulfill, you lose that sense of freedom that comes from playing the game. So, you know, some people ask, well, what if I don't want to play the game? Or what if I don't have, the, what if I don't enjoy the game? What if it gets really stressful? Like, what if you don't like baseball? What if you don't like basketball? Same answer. A lot of this perspective uh, seems to align with Marie Kondo's. Pers- I'm sure you get this a lot, right? Like, what do you think of Marie Kondo? Um, what do you What do you think of um, you know similarities, differences between your approach and and her approach? And also, I read an article the other day with the headline: Marie Kondo gives up tidying up. She's like, you know what? <laughs> yeah. She's Marie Kondo is focusing on what's important. And that means letting the tidying slide. <laughs> so just, have you been following yeah. that news <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. we actually did a segment on our podcast about that because we, we read the article and here's what i'll say i think professional organizers understand this better than anyone we just had a professional organizer on a podcast mm-hmm. Kristen ziggler from minima she is awesome professional organizers get this ryan and i had to give a keynote at the napo conference the national association of professional organizers professional organizers get this one concept and it's this if you want to organize your stuff, the best way to organize it is to get rid of most of it. Hmm. Because otherwise, if you're just tidying up all the time, and by the way, Marie Kondo gets this as well. 
Mm-hmm. You can check out her first book. It's called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. But then if you get rid of the excess, what happens? You can tidy the stuff up without needing to have a hundred different bins and boxes and an ordinal system of alphabetized cases. Well, why is that? Because you got rid of the excess and then it's much easier to organize. And so the problem is we often conflate organizing with letting go, but it's the opposite. Organizing is just well-planned hoarding. And by the way, I don't mean hoarding pejoratively. We are all, well, the vast majority of us are hoarders on some level. If you go through the five stages of hoarding, Ryan and I, when we first started, were stage two or stage three hoarders. The stage five are what you usually see on like the TV show hoarders where you can barely walk through the house or exits are blocked or there are dead cats in the freezer. And it's easy for us to just sort of point and sneer and say, ah, at least I'm not living like that, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. yeah, do you think that happened? Clearly that didn't happen overnight. That's a lifetime of accumulation and nothing wrong with accumulation, but we don't do so intentionally. We keep accumulating. We reach some level of hoarding. You know what level one hoarding is? Light clutter in two or more rooms. Hmm. Well, that seems to describe <laughs> most places. And so that's not a judgment. It's just understanding that we all have things that no longer serve us. And our mm-hmm. willingness to let go or our unwillingness to let go mm-hmm. will dictate where we're going from here and how weighed, our, weighed down we are on that journey. Yeah. When I look at Marie Kondo, first off, it's good to know that she's a human being and that she's not perfect. And the fact that she's like owning up to falling back on this whole idea of tidying up. I mean, to me, that's, that's an empowering story because really when it comes to minimalism and any technique that different minimalists will give, it's not a, a destination. It is a constant process. And I think Marie Kondo like totally shows that. It's like, hey, she has this version of tidying up that, that works for her. But as soon as you slack off a little bit and don't keep up with that process, then things become quickly cluttered. And I bet you five years from now, she will be decluttered then. But uh, to me, it's, it's something that I think it's a good example for all to show that like, hey, even Marie Kondo, the, 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 you know, the most famous, best selling minimalist uh, when it comes to um, getting rid of your stuff, even she has, has her obstacles And, uh, yeah, again, I think that that's, I think it's an empowering story. I I think Ryan and I differ a little Mm -hmm. bit on this. I I just frankly think tidying up basically doesn't work. And what I mean by that is techniques generally don't work because we don't understand the why behind what we're doing. You'll never see us talk about the 67 ways to declutter your closet, right? I can give it to you or I can help you. I can actually come to your house and, and tidy up your closet. And uh, a month from now, it'll be recluttered, right? Or a year from now yeah. or whatever it might be. And the reason I say that tidying up or, or maybe just organizing is probably a better way to put that. Organizing doesn't work very well is because as soon as something changes, we become disorganized. And I think that's the difference with minimalism. Minimalism is about subtracting and figuring out how your life would be better with less, how it might be more with less, more Mm. room, more freedom, more creativity, improved relationships, freed up finances, et cetera, more peace, more contentment, as opposed to, yeah, it's nice to have a a declutter closet, but if you don't know why you're decluttering that closet, then, well, you're just not going to, you're not going to keep it up. Yeah. You're, You're so right. 
couldn't agree with Josh more because people always ask, like, where do we start with minimalism? And, and the, the place to start is to ask the question, how might my life be better with less? And that's mm. really what Josh is talking about. It's about getting clear on the why because the how-to kind of uh, will present itself. And there are a million different how-tos. But yeah, just as Josh said, if you don't know why you're doing it, it's very easy for it to all uh, come crashing back down. I mean, Josh and I literally wrote, wrote a, uh, a rule book. It's called uh, 16 Rules for Living with Less. You can go over to theminimalists.com and it's right there. It's, it's a free ebook. And really, you know, those rules are boundaries. It's, it's, not, it's not something that Josh and I are saying, hey, if you want to be a minimalist, here's the 16 things you have to do. It's really about these different boundaries that we set up in our life. And when people look at those, it makes sense for a lot of people, but some people look at those and are like, you know what? These are a little too strict for me, which is okay. You can take mm. any of our rules, any of our boundaries, and you can adjust them for taste. But certainly to Josh's point, if you don't know why you're putting these boundaries in place, then um, it's, it's probably not going to have a long-term lasting effect on your life. You guys are so right. It's, it aligns with a cognitive science perspective as well, because you know, like I have 50 of every kind of tie and I still only use one tie out of all of them regularly. <laughs> I still don't use the other 49, even with them tidied. And it would be so much better from a cognitive science perspective um, for me to just like the path of least resistance. If there's just one there, I'd be like, that's the one I use, you know, like as opposed to cluttering my, I have to find it out of the others. You know, I have, I get tempted by the others, but I don't really like them. <laughs> so anyway, one of the rules in that in that rule book is called the spontaneous combustion rule, and it's really just a thought experiment, if it's anything. And it's basically if you take any item, like one of those ties in your closet, and you pull it out, or say you take all 49 of the ones you don't wear, and you ask this question, if this spontaneously combusted, or if all 49 of these spontaneously combusted, hmm. would I feel A, relieved, or B, would I replace them? <laughs> and if the answer is a, it's probably a sign that I want to let go. But if I'd replace them, then by all means, why, why, would I, why would I get rid of them? I get it. I get exactly what you guys are doing. So, so let's just uh, recap here and, uh, and end this beautiful discussion. This is some things I got out of today. Get rid of everything that is sucking your soul. Not, not if, I'm, if this is right. <laughs> That's something <laughs> that, that perfect. I, Give yourself permission to get rid of everything that's sucking your soul. Because get rid of it. everything sounds like a commandment, something that you ought to do. And uh, that takes the playfulness out of it. But give yourself I, permission to I do it. I love that. Only keep things that bring you value. Mm. Asking yourself question, does this add value to my life? And asking the question, most importantly, what is truly important in my life? And your minimalistic approach can actually help you discover that more. Would you say that's great? Yeah, absolutely. The, the one thing I'll say is when it comes to adding value... That is looking at something and really asking, does this serve a purpose or does it bring me joy? That, that's to us what adding value means. Would you add anything else to that? Yeah. I mean, ultimately, when you're talking about what those important things are, they're rarely the thing. Mm. Our soundbite-ish answer for what is minimalism is minimalism is the thing that gets us past the things, which mm. often aren't things at all, right? And yeah. We don't realize that. We often think that the things that we buy are not just going to complete us, but they're going to make us happy. And we confuse that cocaine-like high that we get at the checkout line, or we bring it home, or we <laughs> unbox it, right? It's a whole genre yeah. of videos now, unboxing yeah. videos. And we conflate that with contentment, with happiness, with peace of mind. And, uh, of course, 
we don't get any of those things from those things. Exactly. And, uh, and I want to double, I want to uh, circle back to something TK was talking about earlier um, to add another principle. And, and that's that I think we underestimate the value of giving to others. We see this in the clinical psychology world of people who are severely, you know, depressed and are constantly talking about themselves as a therapist, you know, I would say, well, have you tried not thinking about yourself so much? <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, have you tried? <laughs> Maybe mm. actually, like, stop ruminating so much about your own woes and, mm. and giving to others. And you often find when people do give to others, they feel more lightness of being. So I really think we underestimate that value of yeah. giving to others. Yeah. That's the beautiful thing about joy. Joy makes room for all the other emotions as well. You can experience mm. joy and still have some sort of grief. You know, the grief of moving on, right? If you're graduating... If you have a kid who's graduating, my, my daughter's getting ready to graduate uh, fourth grade right now, right? And so she's mo- going to move on from the fourth grade. And there's a little grief in that, but there's also a great joy in moving on. There'd be far more grief if she had to stay there perpetually, right? But grief makes room for all of these other emotions. But the other thing about joy that's really fascinating is it doesn't even have to be your joy. You mm. can experience joy when other people experience joy yes. as well. And that's one of the, the side benefits, the byproducts of contributing beyond yourself in a meaningful way. Well, Joshua, Ryan, and TK, unless, did anyone want to add anything last minute? That's good. Hey, just thank you for this time. Yeah. This was awesome. Oh Thanks my so God. <laughs> thank you guys. I just want to say Joshua, Ryan, TK, you bring me joy. <laughs> you guys hey, Scott, bring I'm working on an R&B album right now. So whenever you're ready, I got the studio for us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm ready, baby. I'm ready. Uh, seriously, you, I can just feel your, your joyful energy uh, and it, it really is contagious. So thank you so much for being on the Psychology Podcast. I know this will be a really valuable episode for people. Love you, Scott. Thanks. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Psychology Podcast. If you'd like to react in some way to something you heard, I encourage you to join in the discussion at thepsychologypodcast.com or on our YouTube page, The Psychology Podcast. We also put up some videos of some episodes on our YouTube page as well, so you'll want to check that out. Thanks for being such a great supporter of the show and tune in next time for more on the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. Open a limited time 11 month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average. Plus, it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, You can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. 
Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.